April 3, 2021. It's the Watt for Pedro show.
Lot for Pedro Show. Happy Saturday for Saturday, April. And we started off with uh, John Cotrain live at Carnegie Hall with Thelonious Monk doing Nutty. And then Big Italian Style Mix Fry, Joe Berardi. And people, I'm, yeah, Brother Maddie's at the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point because still quite in Quartino mode. But I'm not totally man alone because those Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention, I got Brother Joe Berardi. Welcome aboard, Joe. Hey, thanks a lot, Mike. Great yeah, to be here. Absolutely, absolutely, and thank you for coming to the rescue and making everything yep. happen. I'm, you know, been been a big fan of your work a long time, and and then a real a joy getting to fucking actually play with you, collab with you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. really curious about your your journey uh, through music. So let let's start. As far back as you could go, what's your earliest musical recollection, Joe? Well, uh, <clears throat> my earliest recollection of listening to music was, um, I, was I don't even know how old I was, probably three, four. <clears throat> my aunt uh, bought me a box set of cowboy songs, uh, records, you know. So I think that got me started on just my sort of long lifelong love of, of records and vinyl and just, you know, listening to music as a listener. Um, it was a cool, you know, it was like a classic um, Roy Rogers and all those sort of cowboys of the 50s, I guess. And um, Gene Autry? Yeah, must have been, you know, must have, it was all the, it was like a box of like little 45s. I remember it really well. I don't have it, but um, I'm not that much of a hoarder, but I do collect stuff. You know? <laughs> um, but anyway, that that's sort of my first memory of um, interacting with music, especially like directly, you know. Um, then when I was, um, in kindergarten at five years old, I, I, the, the class, so th this is, um, this is when we moved to, to Florida where I grew up, um, I was born in New York, moved to, and then we family moved to Florida and I grew up there, went to school there and all that. So when I was in kindergarten, um, they had a, an accordion class and for some reason I took it and, um, I didn't really, I couldn't really play the accordion. But it's kind of a funny story because I um I they we had a big like, kind of a Christmas concert at the end of the, the season or whatever and um they told all us little kids you know the kindergartners to to kind of fake pretend like you're playing because none of us could really play and then there were older kids in the class that actually were playing the song so uh, at the end of the concert the next next day in class uh, they said we're going to give a prize to the to the person who did the best job and I won the I won the prize for faking it the best. And um, so it was a, a box of those uh, snowball cookies. I don't know if you remember those, but uh, those big mounds of foam with coconut on top of them. And I, and I love those. And it was I was so excited about the whole thing. But but the thing is, it, it sort of reinforced my uh, like, oh, this is what making music is about. You don't you don't have to be good. You just have to look like you're good. <laughs> so, right, you got early training with lip sync, it's sort of a lip lip sync. I, kind of, yeah. Like pretend like you, you know, you pretend like you're playing. They didn't say just sit there. They said, you know, pretend like you're playing. And so I did a good job of that. So that was my first experience. And I, you know, I kind of dropped the accordion as quick as I picked it up. You know, I don't even remember how long I played, but. Um, that, then I started probably like most kids and, and grew up in the 60s. I started, uh, I was about 12. I wanted to play guitar. I was, I, I, I was really into music as, as a listener. And um, so I wanted to play guitar. So guitar was my first instrument. Played that for a couple of years. Had a couple of really crappy, unplayable guitars. And um, I, my next door neighbor <clears throat> had a drum, drum set. In the process, I had also been dabbling with, uh, I had some drumsticks. You know, I was doing the other typical thing of just banging on, on um, 
you know, plastic garbage can, uh, upside down garbage cans and things like that, you know, just household things just to kind of, because I, I, I loved the visual aspect of drums, you know, like it's very mysterious to me of like, what are all those elements and what, what, what does that do? And, oh, they're using their foot, you know, and it's not like now where you can go on YouTube and see any drummer from the history of drums, you know, right there in two seconds, you know. You had to like look at magazines and pictures and whatever you might have seen on TV. So it's a different world in that in that way. But um, anyway, yeah. So so I just um, I went over to my next door neighbors and he had that drum set and, and I sat down and could could kind of play a groove. And so I said, "Do you want to trade? Uh, I'll give you my electric guitar for the drums." And he did. And, and that was that was pretty much the beginning of it all for me. You know, it's like I never looked back. I mean, I still play guitar for my own amusement but you know it's like drums were just a natural fit for me so there you go that's that's so that's how i started uh what was the first record you bought with your own money joe what what, what town in florida you know that's a big state <laughs> yeah uh daytona beach oh okay on the, ever, on the ocean yeah. side yeah, uh, yeah i played near there uh the, what's that space uh melbourne there's that uh by cape canaveral or something yeah cape, cape canaveral and all that yeah uh-huh in well, fact, we conked at uh, Jaco Pistorius's brother's pad. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't shit you, Joe. That's I mean, it, it was quite an adventure because this guy, he's an accountant at daytime, but nighttime he was a poet and he had this big creed. Huh? He read us. Uh, it was insane. You can tell there was something in the fat. Maybe it's in the jeans. I don't know. Uh, but huh? he was a very sweet guy. To let, I remember us leaving. He was in on the deck with the pillowcase over his head. Uh, you know, cocked out in a, in a big basket of jalapenos. He had eight, most of them, but some are still left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, sounds sounds uh, like that would be something in the Jocko, in the Pastorius family. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the first, you know, Robert found the base, right, and gave it back to the family. It's an incredible thing. Uh, uh, so, uh, so the first record you bought with your own money, and then the, the uh, first gig you saw where people were playing live, like you saw a real drummer. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first record, I, I there's, it's either one of two. I can't remember. Um, it was either the Rolling Stones' um, biggest big hits, "High Tide" and "Green Grass." I don't know if you know that one. Yeah, yeah, sure. But it's a it's a great collection of all their earliest hits. Uh, so it's the greatest hits, you know. And it came out <clears throat> pretty early in their career to have the greatest hits, but they they had that many, you know. So that was that was one of the. One of the first, the other first might have been um, Bob Dylan, Highway, Highway 61 Revisited. But I had those two. Those were my first two recollections of records that I bought. And I bought a little, you know, turntable from this this guy that lived down the street that sold electronics. And, you know, and that, it wasn't a turntable. It was a little record player. <clears throat> um, sure. You know, it was, it was pretty bad. And, yeah, and, Dee Boone had one of them in there. I had an A track, the new thing. It's really, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Columbia, the Columbia, the the club, you send in a dime, they send you ten A tracks. Yeah, they send you absolutely. one a month. If you don't send it back, you have to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, that's how they hook you. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Fun. Gateway, uh, the first one's free. Yeah. So, so what yeah. was the first gig? Well, the um, the first. My first, actually, my first real concert is, um, it's actually something I'm very proud of. Is um, my, you know, I'm the youngest of three, and I haven't, uh, my brother's like 11 years older, so he was, you know, significantly older. Sure. He, him, him and my sister took me to see Bob Dylan. Ah. 
1966. Um, so it was the, the tour with the, what would be the band, you know, uh, Robbie Robertson and that. So it was Levon Hell. What's that? Levon Hell. Well, Levon, yeah, Levon was in that band, but he had left, and so it's that. Oh, other that's guy. right. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You, you know who I'm talking okay, about. Okay, let's talk about the bass band, the, the other Canadians, right? <laughs> I yeah, think Levon was yeah. the only U.S. guy, but Rick Danko, and then uh, I think uh, Gareth Garth on the organ. Garth, and then the, and, and then the guy who I think he hung himself in Florida, Richard Manuel. Um, yeah, one of those guys definitely hung himself, and I, I don't remember that it was Florida, but it could have been because lots of strange things happen in Florida, as we and all know. I remember reading about it for some reason and remembering yeah. that he liked drinking this weird kind of liqueur called Ar uh, the Mariner, Grand Mariner. It's some orange kind of uh, shit. Oh, Grand, Grand Marnier. Yeah, it's that's called. it. That's... Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like really <laughs> sweet orange. Yeah, just like. Oh God! I can't imagine drinking too much of that. The horror. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. Was... So that was my that was my first exposure, and it was it was so exciting for me. You know, I was um, I was twelve, and um, so I was you know, just everything was new, and it, the whole the whole vibe of it. The whole it was in a big um, it was in the Jacksonville Coliseum, which is a big, you know, one of those multi event kind of giant halls like the forum or something and it wasn't full you know it wasn't like packed sold out but it, you know it was crowded there were a lot of people there there were all these super hip uh kind of you know beatnikly looking dudes hanging around the lobby and you know as a little kid i was just so like um so enthralled by the whole thing and, yeah. and it was intimidating too you know because it was like the real world and a cool world and all that stuff, you know, but, but, um, I remember looking at the instruments, um, you know, and, and that was fascinating. I, in my, my vivid memory is that they had, they must've been Fender twins. And you know how Fender twins have, um, those arms on the sides where so you can angle sure. them up. Yeah. So they all had that. And I, I had never seen that. And I thought, well, that's that. real interesting looking. And most people don't do that these days with a, no, 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 but it makes sense because otherwise you're blowing into the back of your fucking cast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so that drum set you got from the neighbor, what was it? Was it a fancy one? No, it was. It was a cheap, you know, um, made in Japan <clears throat> red. Oh, well, fucking Tama's made in Japan, and they're pretty good. <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, it's not to not to disparage anything made in Japan, but back then, um, you know. Japanese, the Japanese knockoffs were just not the high quality yeah, that they could yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, you know, it was a cheap drum set. It was part, I don't think I had a, I don't think I even had a floor tom. You know, I got, I got that later. Oh, Magic. like uh, Nick Knox and the Cramps, right? <laughs> yeah, but not, not by design, just because that's all that was there. It was like a bass drum, a snare drum, a hi-hat and a rack tom, I believe. And then a, maybe a, couple of crappy symbols but you know so it, yeah it was a it was a low-end drum set but i loved it and um you know used it for a long time and um i mean well you know through through my whole learning process well, well yeah. so let's talk about you well no let's put, first play the rice song fibonacci
the only one who screams. Thank you. 
Watch for Pedro Shelby played a Fibonacci's with Rash Song uh, after that brand new Guided by Voices, Margaret Middle School. Dustin Wong, Annihilated Toxins, have that. He's got a brand new record, uh, Internal Hot Springs. Great. It came out last week, Dustin Wong. Uh, Tobacco, Mr. Tom, he's got a new album out of Pittsburgh, This Man. I think it's called Fucked Up Friends Number Three. I don't even remember number two, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, Bomb is printing after that somewhere, uh, someone else's nightmare. D.C. area. Hands Rotten from Switzerland. Luke Mike Tess. Andy Kerr out of the Netherlands with Foolish Love Song. He was the cat that was called uh, Hugh Can't Be Named. <laughs> that was his name. <laughs> He's doing sound for the uh, No Means No guys. And But this is his own solo record, Andy Kerr. And then finally, Fibonacci's with Narcissist, which luckily we got to phase that period out for a little bit with some Bowden. Thank you. Uh, okay, Joe. So what about at school? Did you get it involved with it after the accordion days, like choir or marching band or shit like that? Um, n- no, actually, I didn't. Uh, I The school I went to didn't have a um, right, marching no program. band. Okay. And... Um, well, what but about I, what about in the afternoon after school with the garage band, basement band, bedroom yeah. band, stuff like that? That was totally my my roots. Um, I mean, that was that was my after school. <clears throat> I would either um, go home and just play drums by myself, practice to records, or or at a certain point, there was a kid down the street uh, who I'm still in touch with, a great guy. Uh, he's um, he he was a guitar player. He's he's a year or two younger than me, but. Uh, he played guitar, so we formed a. First, it was a duo, just guitar and drums, and he sang, and and then we added a friend on bass. You know, maybe a little while later, just roped in somebody that that we that was a good friend. He not he wasn't a great musician, and he never really, you know, Mike who was a guitar player. He taught him what to do on bass, and he never really kind of went further. But we did have our own little rock combo, and so yeah, that's that was the thing we. Actually, my house was the um, ground zero for the rehearsals. We, you know, my mom was real tolerant uh, of of that, so we rehearsed in the garage. And, and um, you know, so, a lot of times it's the drummer's pad <laughs> that the practice is done. Yeah, I guess it, it, it's true. Did now you, that you mention it, did um, you get? Did, well, because you don't have to fucking set them up and tear down. That's why I got a drum set for my practice pad. I got tired of waiting. What, what about yeah. uh, a, a name? Did you have a name? Did you do gigs? Yeah, we did. We were called Red Weather, and um, <clears throat> which we named after a. Um, well, we, you know, at the time, you know, it's probably like fourteen, fifteen. Uh, was really into Blue Cheer. Remember Blue Cheer? Oh, yeah, big time, Dickie Peterson. Yeah, so the bass player, uh, the uh, guitar player, was this guy Lee Stevens, and he had his own. He put out a solo record called Red Weather, so we stole that name we stole his album title for our band name we liked it <laughs> we thought it sounded cool kind of sound kind of psychedelic and you know you know so, who was the keyboard player well the second keyboard player was ethan james from right yes yeah. I, I know that yeah but, but if, on the record covers you won't see ethan james you'll see ralph kellogg oh that was his is that his real name or is that his made-up name <laughs> well i think you're born with and given a name and then maybe you choose another well, yeah, exactly. Like Spot but, uh, and all those guys, Pat Smear. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking of this recently, talking about that. Probably the best punk rock name out there 
is actually his real name is DJ Bonebreak. Oh yeah, Don Bonebreak. Yeah. It's so it's such an amazing punk rock name, but it's well, actually not made up. Yeah, I know a lot of people thought me and D Boone's names were punk names. Well, yeah. I mean, what? Daniel Boone and yeah, light bulb. <laughs> yeah, what a great name for an electric someone that plays an electric instrument, you know. So 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 what was the first Red Weather gig like? Well, I do remember the very first one. It was um, some some uh, one of our classmates. Uh, this, this girl had a birthday party and hires to play. And I think we we got paid. You know, I think we probably got paid twenty dollars and um, for the whole band. And we had a four piece band, and um, so we each made five bucks, and that was a big deal. I, I don't remember how we sounded, but I remember how exciting it was. Can I ask you about the material? Were they copy songs? Or were they? Your, yeah, your, yeah, we did covers. Um, we did, we did blue cheer covers. We, you know, we did cream covers. Well, they they did cover right parchment farm and uh, yeah. summertime blues. Yeah, absolutely, that's true. And I mean, although I got to say, they changed them. <laughs> they really did. They really made them their own. You know, <laughs> which was falls <laughs> out to do because the Who had uh, covered Eddie Cochran's summertime blues. Yeah, oh, that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, there's nothing like the blue cheer version. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, that record you can you, you can mix that record yourself because it's so hard stereo. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's really the crazy sounding record. Uh, Ethan anyway, told me they were so loud that they had to practice on a houseboat up the city because like, it was just yeah yeah a lot of, a lot of yeah. volume yeah. a lot of volume. Well, you know that was that was one of the records that. Um, their second album is called Outside Inside. I yeah, can't, yeah. because it was recorded outside and inside. <laughs> but it had that great uh, fold out of them live and um, just kind of blurry photo where the drummer's arms are just blur. And, and uh, I mean, as a, as a teenage kid, you know, I would just stare at that, and listen to the record and, and the wall of Marshall amps behind them. And it was just, you know, that was just a, well, so there was other cats too, like that, uh, Mitch Mitchell, Keith, Moon were they influences? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I my influence is like I learned to play by playing along to um, the first uh, the Hendrix the three Hendrix records, uh, you know, a lot. And uh, you know what? You know what Jimmy said about Mitch? He said he's my Elvin Jones. Yeah, and you know, absolutely. When you hear it, you know, it's so so clear to hear. I didn't know anything about Elvin Jones back then, of course. Yeah, um, of course. But he, um, I didn't either. I fucking didn't. Raymond Pettibone turned me on to Joe, John Coltrane. But, you right. know, it's funny, like a song like Let Me Stand Next to Your Fire, right? I'm going to show you everything I know in this one song. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> We're that's... at the end of the first hour, Joe. Uh, April 3, 3 2021, Dish Wap Peter Show special guest, Joe Berardi. Hang tight for hour two. April 3, 2021, it's the second hour of the lot for Pedro.
Yeah, he's Watch for Pedro Show. We start off the second hour. Harry Cloud with Sam I Am. That's Joe Help, not Harry. We'll get to that. Ben Salter after that. Gonda Lonkiston. <laughs> Whatever the fuck. I fuck up people's languages. I fuck up their town names. I'm so sorry. Diaz for dermatologists from Luca Sabella. Uh, Don the Tiger. Bebopalua. But yeah, his version. Aruba Abua. Uh, Na- uh, Naonda A1 Ayamud from Hi-Fi Club with Eugene Chadbourne and finally Mentot 6 all lit up nothing to do so uh, now you end up leaving Florida, you end up in Southern California yeah yeah I I, um, I came out here actually this this uh, year just in January it's my 40th anniversary of moving out here so this is definitely my home, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I went to I went to Boston where my mom was from. I have a lot of relatives up there. After high school, I, I am a couple of years later. I went to Boston, uh, kicked around there for a little bit. Came back to Florida, and um, I was all I was always working, you know, like just working, playing music. I was, you know do cover cover bands or whatever it took to to make a living um but always had you know an interest in in um sort of things beyond you know uh like i was interested in percussion and uh not just straight up drum set and i had also started playing piano when i was in uh, college age so i had this sort of background of other kinds of music and um the stuff that I was making a living playing was not as interesting as the stuff I really wanted to make. Um, and I, I knew I couldn't stay in, in uh, like Florida because it just was not, I was not going to find what I might've wanted. So I had some friends that lived out here and, and um, they coaxed me into coming out and I did. And, and it was great. The first year I moved out here, <clears throat> I joined the, uh, you know, I did the typical thing. I, uh, scoured the recycler. You remember that? Right, the pink. It was at the Seven Eleven for seventy five cents. The ads were for free. Exactly. Yeah, and that was that was how you found. You know, Joe. That's how I found like, all my cars and my amps, my bases, everything. Everything, right? Yeah. I mean, it was. It, I guess it was like Craigslist. <laughs> no, Craigslist like, was like that. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it, and I it, remember the, the ads for musicians, no flakes must have own transportation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was, it was actually just like there were, there were probably like four or five different styles of ads that you would wade through. But but anyway, I, that's what I did. I, you know, moved out here and my friend said, you got to get the recycler every week and you go through and you look for people to play with. And I did that for the first six months and, you know, met a bunch of people and, um, uh, and um, eventually hooked up with the Fibonacci's, and uh, that sort of started my. You know, it was kind of the band I had always been looking for, really. That's where I first saw you play with. Yeah, well, we, you know, it's funny because we did a lot of shows, you know, relatively with uh, the Minutemen. We yeah. we played on a lot of bills together. Sure. And uh, and I saw the Minutemen countless times because you know you guys were one of my favorite bands. Um, <clears throat> And this was so. This is starting in '81, you know. So you guys were were pretty new as well. What what, what year did that? January '80. So we're only like a year or a year and a half, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you were sort of um, 
you know, you were like uh, rising above the the crowd, you know, because you you know it was so unique and and uh, just kicking ass, but but also really interesting and great songwriting and <clears throat> the whole thing. So so you know, I followed the Minutemen a lot, and like I said, we played on a lot of bills, and uh, you know, we never we never knew each other. You know, we just say hi in passing, and yeah. you got were always really nice to us, and and. Um, but we never, we never sort of hung out. We never were, were friends. But well, you uh, know, so Cal's kind of spread out. And Pedro, we're way yeah. in the harbor, you know. So after the gig, we had to like get home. Yeah, absolutely. We all worked uh, other uh, things during the daytime. And uh, did you have to try out for Fibonacci's? Well, I did actually, and it's funny because um, I was talking to a couple of the, the uh, members just recently about this. We kind of were reminiscing we're in the process of getting our stuff together to put up online like you know for digital availability so which is not so far nothing's up but we're, we're getting that together so we kind of were reminiscing and yeah i did audition um i mean it was pretty it was pretty informal we, i just went over there and played for, for an afternoon they had given me a the um the, you know the, the songs on a cassette and said, yeah, here's, you know, let's, we'll play some of these songs. And, and I did. And, and, um, as soon as I, I had seen them, I went to Al's bar to see them first. And the minute I saw them, I just was totally in love with the band. It's like, yeah, I, I, I wasn't even like, Oh, I want to be in this band. I'm like, I'm going to be in this band because I'm the perfect drummer for them. And, um, <laughs> just kind of on a musical level, you know, it was just sure, like sure. kind of made for each other. And, so and they, they were already going. Yeah, they had been. They, what, they had lost been a drummer. Oh, but they they were together for maybe three four months, and they didn't have a drummer oh, at all. Okay, so, okay. so this was their first um, sort of venture into like the idea of having drums. Because um, <laughs> it, it's one of those bands that started very casually. It's it you know sort of wasn't by design. It was it was just they kind of fell into it. Um, well, there was a lot of that in those days because yeah, the movement yeah. embraced, you know, weirdness. Exactly. Exactly. And so they, they, you know, John, the keyboard player had been, he had been playing and he had played in bands when he was in high school and, you know, similar to me, but um, Ron, the guitar player and Maggie, the singer, they hadn't, they hadn't done really music. I mean, Ron had been playing music, but they had never been in a band or anything like that. So this was their first, uh, you know, their first jumping into the pool. And, and um, you know, I mean, Ron, Ron, Ron never kind of took to it, to be honest. I, I think he always was like uncomfortable <laughs> being on stage and all that. But he, uh, he was, he had a great musical mind and um, he, he had really cool ideas. So uh, uh, Harry Nielsen, I read, was really shy about playing gigs. Really? Yeah, and he was telling his hell. He, I don't think, ever did a gig. Uh, I want to play this other prodge because we got to talk about these. Non credo? Something called Curious yeah. Coupling. Okay. Well, think of a hot sock. 
Pedro Show, Non Credo with Curious Couplings, then Inspired Minorities chant from Maria Nikaforova from the Emma Golden Bust Out Brigade. We know what that collab is about. Yes. And Death Samantha from Cleveland after that with Blood Crick, and then finally 8 Bit Horror, Non Credo. So what, what's Non Credo? Uh, non Credo is, is, um, is a, me and uh, Kira Volman, uh, my musical partner, we've been making music together for a long, long time. Oh, um, shit, and so one. it's, uh, it's just the two of us and we, um, you know, we record and f- play and record at home. And, and, um, you know, we started in the, uh, gosh, in the late, late eighties, we started doing that. And, um, do you do gigs? Yeah, we, yeah, we do. We haven't done any shit. gigs lately. And, and again, obviously not last year, but, 
we had started, you know, sporadically because we, we don't, it's just two of us and we've done gigs as a duo, but we, we need other people. Um, but yeah, we, we do gigs, you know, like mostly, um, kind of like gallery settings. Kira has a, a, a sort of an art space in Altadena that, um, it's called ARK, A-R-K. Okay. It's, uh, and, and she's been doing um, shows there, like sort of um, kind of like new music shows, uh, <clears throat> sporadically too, not anything real consistent. But she's it's some really cool stuff. She's She um, has this building that she's sort of built a little stage and a little gallery area. It holds about 50 people and um, really cool. And the sound is actually really good in that room. So she's done all kinds of stuff with – People like Vinny Golius played there. Yeah, um, great cat. But that's uh, a hell ride from Pedro <laughs> Altadena. What's that? It's a hell ride from Pedro Altadena. Oh, yeah. But I, I, really... One day I'll go there. What's, what's Mentot 6? Men, Mentot 6 is a combination. That's some um, Stuart Liebig. You know him. Oh, baseball. yeah, bassman. Uh, yeah, friend yeah, of yeah. Nels Klein, G.E. Stinson. Exactly. Vinny Golia. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's played with all those guys a lot. He, he had this band... We first were called the Mentones, um, and it was me and Stuart, uh, Bill Barrett, and Tony Atherton, who you know Tony for sure. Saxman from uh, yeah. Bazooka with Vince Maroney. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, a- and Harry Cloud, you were telling me off air, he's a singer-songwriter, people. And, and, yeah, and you recorded yeah. with Paul Rossler, and how'd that connect happen? Yeah, well, I don't remember how I got hooked up with them. I mean, I've known Paul for a long time, obviously, but... Um, I don't remember, but he, I, I was playing with the uh, the Deadbeats, and I guess I guess if that band plays again, I'll still be playing with them. But so far, right, because they lost, they were brothers, right? And the drummer, yeah, we lost him. Yeah, and he's a he's a great drummer, Sean Guerin. Yeah, I remember seeing them at the Whiskey. He played on the side, uh, you know, not typical position for the drummer. Right, and his brother Sagan was wearing big rubber dick glasses and yeah shit. That, that scott he still he still does that he still wears <laughs> costumes and, and <laughs> what was the song the song was like uh send him back to kill the hippies uh send him back, hippies. Send him back to san francisco yeah that was their big hit as <laughs> Look, it were geese x right look we're at the end of the second hour april 3 2021 dish what peter show hold tight for hour three April 3, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro show.
Die, 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 pig, die.
Watch for Pedro Show. Start off the third hour, Double Knot Spy Car, Tale of the Comet. John Wayne after that. Is this just, is that justice? Uh, Trooper Trooper from Poland with I Hate. Psychic Hotline, Probable Cause. Carnival Jones, It's Dark Out There. Uh, and finally, Double Knot Spy Car with Criminal Luminosity. Now, what's the story with Double Knot Spy Car? Well, that those two songs that you played from Spy Car, well, well, let me backtrack it. Spy Car is a, it's a four-piece, and uh, we recently added uh, Danny Magoo on keyboards, but um, kind of a guitar-based instrumental band. <clears throat> really varied uh, influences, kind of soundtrack, uh, surf, spy music, uh, all kinds of stuff. But, you know, just sort of like mashed up together together. Uh, Really cool band, really fun band for me to play in because it's really sort of open. Um, I can do whatever whatever I feel like the song needs, and um, and everybody digs it. Nobody, you know, it's sort of very. Um, let, let me get this right. You get to you get to help compose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that, we that's how we write with that band. We we kind of somebody will come in with an idea, or we just we just jam a lot. We just play a lot. And with that, we have the luxury of uh, Mark Doden, the bass player, has a studio where you came yeah. uh, to play. And um, so we can record everything we, we do, you know. So we usually just run run Pro Tools and, and just, we'll just jam all day and then grab ideas that way. So we do write as a group. But that, that so that's the basic group. But the record that those two songs are from is called Moof. And... Um, the first song, Tale of the Tale of the Comet, is with Nels Klein as a guest, and um, Nels didn't come to the studio because he was he lives in New York, so he he flew in his tracks. We sent him our track, and he he sent back guitars, great guitar stuff. And then the uh, the last song, uh, Criminal Luminosity, is with um, Elvis Keen. He's um, I don't know if you know him, but he's he's in this really cool band called Fiedler. Do you know them? They were the young guys, right? Well, they're probably older yeah, yeah. Now. They, they are young. Well, there's yeah, they're they're in their twenties, you know, maybe mid twenties now. Um, they started out as teenagers. teenagers. Yeah, I, I remember and, hearing you know, their about their dad them. is is Greg Greg uh, Keen from uh, TSOL, and so um, oh, the keyboard man. Yeah, exactly. Great so, guy. Great guy. Greg's an, an old friend of mine, <clears throat> and I I knew those guys, the kids, when they were. When they really were kids, they they were like eight years old, and <laughs> used to um, come to some gigs that we Greg and I were doing together and stuff. And they, they always had an interest in music, and they're super. They're just really knowledgeable about the past. You know, they love um, they love the sort of first wave of L.A. punk scene. You know, like you guys and all the bands, Black Flag, all the bands from the early early punk days. So. Um, they grew up with that stuff, so they... yeah. But but I tell you, I meet a lot of dudes. Their kids don't like music. Uh, music guys. Sometimes really? that happens too. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Here, here's another uh, collab you did with Stu. Marcy Buku. Insistence 
I'm trying to break through this funky French resistance. Environment in the metro. Dancing to that retro. Environment in the metro. I'm dancing to that retro. Marcy Bacon. I know who you really are, but who really are you? Marcy Buku. I know who you really are, but who really are you? She wanted to retrace the midway steps. I just wanted to eat some crepes. She said, your French is embarrassing me as she adjusted her frock. I said, I'm just doing to their language what they did to rock. Risk yourself among the cats and hawks. A 
Turn your face back to the screen and reach for one more nut. Hiding in the shadows of progress, whimpering in the mighty black corners of success. Little hamster, munch away, munch away, munch away. They'll pay to show your face, they'll pay you to occupy three square feet of space. And you may rise, you may rise, and risk yourself among the cats and hawks. But turn your face back to the screen, back to your sentence. It's a long one, it's a long one.
Off for Pedro Show, last music for this edition. We had a Double Knot Spy Car again, and this time with Stu from, uh, what was his band called? The Negro Problem. Negro Problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, uh, I remember those cats. And then he got into, we were talking off air people, he got into theater, right, and uh, plays yeah. and stuff. And a he, really talented cat, man. He can sing, he can write, you know, play. Uh, we had Stony Spring after that with Seed Passer, uh, Atsuko Chiba with I Just, Mike Cooper with Banko Lips, Paul Moshian, uh, this drummer man, yeah. we lost a couple of years ago, and he made some uh, record. I think his last record was with Petra, Easy Living, and finally, uh, you had to send me a correction here with High Rye Rye from Cheka Remidi. Yeah, I don't know how to say the first name, but Algerian, she, right? Remedy. Uh, she's a she's an Algerian um, Algerian singer. Yeah, that that was an interesting project. It's that beautiful. Was, uh, I love it, man. It's really cool. Uh, it's funny on that song. Uh, <clears throat> Fleet plays bass, and um, I think East Bay Ray is on that. So the, the story on that is this: there's this French guy whose name escapes me uh, <clears throat> that I, I'm somehow I had met. He came over and he produced that record with this woman, Remedy, who's this, she was a really famous rye singer. Um, she was in, this was in the 90s, so she was in her 70s then. She's our, she's no longer with us, but, um, so she was in her 70s back then. And, and um, you know, so she had, had a long history in rye music. And he produced this thing of mixing, uh, Algerian musicians with European musicians with American musicians. So he was flying all over the place with these, these tapes. And, um, anyway, so he, he got hooked up with Geza and, uh, that's who I recorded that with. So we did it in pieces. Oh, uh, you know what? The, I know the connect Joe. Uh, yeah. East Bay Ray Giza did the first dead Kennedy album. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. It's, it's a small world. <laughs> It really is. It, yeah. Ain't that a trip? But I'm glad you cut, got involved with that. It's really happening. I mean, music is a, a universal connect. It's just a great thing. Uh, yeah. You're working on... Well, before I get on this record that you're working on, you make your own fuzz boxes? I do. I make, um, <clears throat> I you know, make effects pedals in general. Mostly fuzz, because I, like, I like fuzz. and um, <laughs> But all kinds of stuff... Um, it's funny. I haven't been doing anything immediately in the, in the immediate few past, but um, it's still something I do. I have a little, you know, sort of business if you if, <laughs> if you want to call it that. But it's called F Hole, and it's um, <clears throat> it's where I sell uh, effects pedals and also circuit bent stuff, which is you know taking existing uh, sound making maybe toys or devices and sort of altering the electronics so that they do something different. Um, it's really fun for me. That's how I got started, and then I graduated to uh, effects pedals. But yeah, I, I really enjoy it, I, and I, I really have no um, real knowledge. I didn't go to school for to study electronics. It's strictly the university of the internet, you know. Yeah, and learning by doing. And, and, yeah. and there's a website, right? What's what's the yeah? URL? It's uh, it's uh, fholefx.com. So it's uh, f letter f letter x. Com. So fholefx.com. And uh, it's it's not real up to date, but it's got a bunch of stuff. You can hear some, uh, you know, uh, demos of, of some of the pedals and 
poke around. So it's sure, sure, man. Uh, so, I, I do you make any shit for bass? I haven't really, but <laughs> one day, people, right? People have asked me that, and, and it's definitely. Well, I just asked because... you. Well, I just asked you that because I'd like to use it. Well, and play with you with it. What what no, what absolutely. about this record that you're doing right now? The Joe Berardi record. Well, yeah, that's. <clears throat> It's a it's a solo record in the true sense, and that I'm just doing it all by myself. It, it was kind of the plan all along, <clears throat> but um, the last year definitely sort of. Well, it's funny because I've been sort of gathering material for it over the years, and and it just you know how it is. It's like you you do stuff that you, you sort of always put your own thing on the back burner. Well, I shouldn't say you. I I always put it, my own thing on the back burner. And um, so finally, with the pandemic and the shutdown, starting in last May, <clears throat> it's like I really it's like, OK, I have the time now because I'm just sitting at home, not working. I, I really, really if I don't do this record in a really sort of concerted way, I'm never going to do it. So that's what I've been doing. So sort of piecing it together. Um, it's, it's mostly, you know, it's mostly um, keyboard based. Um, so, and it's, it's mostly composed, you know, I mean, there's, there's some improv in there, but it's mostly just composed pieces, instrumental, you know, I mean, I've told a few people that I'm doing a, I'm, I've been working on my own record, solo record, and they go, well, so it's going to just be you playing drums, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, it's not, I'm, I'm really not playing drums on it much at all. Um, so it's, you know, people have a sort of preconceived notion of what it would be based on what they know of what I do, which makes sense, you know, but, um, and other people say, Oh, so you're going to sing on it. And it's like, no, I'm definitely not going to sing on it. So it's instrumental and, um, it's, it's kind of all over the place, but that's, you know, for me, that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think you played a track early on. that's sort of a, <clears throat> sort of give a little preview of what I've been doing. And it's, um, it's hard to it's hard to describe it, and also it's not finished, so I sort of haven't formulated what it is. But are you talking about the big Italian style mix fry? Yeah, that song is is a is a it's one of the oldest. Um, I've had that recording kicking around, sort of two thirds finished for years, and then I finally finished it off. And I, it's one of the only ones that I tried to take a stab at a full mix on, and so I thought I'd throw that out there. But, um, it's really interesting. I can't wait. And when that oh, record oh. gets done, and it will, because we know, it will. We, yeah. we knew, we know what Orson Welles learned us. <laughs> That's right. You know before it's time. <laughs> right. But when, when it does get done, Joe, I will, please come back on the show and let's talk about every fucking tune on it. I would love to. I would really love that. Really appreciate it, Mike. Yeah. yeah big honor to have you aboard, uh, truly. And people, me, and Joe are working Matoko Hana on a new record. And plus, we're, we're on the just recently released Emma Goldman Bust Out Brigade with Devin Hoff. Joe, big honor. Can't wait to talk to you again. Can't wait to play with you again. Can't wait what? to hear your edits. Yes, yes. <laughs> Loving it. All and that. your mixes, all that what? shit. Thank you so much. I really appreciate right it. Back, right back. You deserve Joe. People, it's been a Watt Pedro Show, uh, April 3, 2021 edition. Keep your powder dry.